Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Statcast. Uh, Sam and I are here again to talk about baseball as we come closer and closer to the playoffs and the end of the regular season. And some stuff got resolved this week, some stuff did not, and we're here to tell you about all of it. So first we're going to start off with the NL Central leading Cardinals fresh off losing a 19-inning seven-hour marathon with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, so I always have loved these games that just go on forever, with the exception of game uh, three of the World Series. No, that (laughs) that was too much, and the only Dodgers win. Well, it for me, like being a Red Sox fan, I stayed up for the entire thing, and it, like, like in like the thirteenth, we scored, and then we let them score, and I never like liked them because it's a bunch of different pitchers just going out there and pitching like two innings, and like there's no offense. I'm not saying I don't love pitchers duels, but it's fun, much more fun to watch a nine-inning game than it is to watch an 18-inning or 19-inning game. And so there have been a lot of good marathon games, specifically the Game 3 of the World Series last year. But what was – can you remember, like, a marathon game that, you know, you remember watching or just remember fondly? Oh, Cardinals-Mets several years ago. I think it won 20 innings. I think there was only one run scored the entire game. Yeah. Or maybe there were, like – three runs all scored in the 19th or 20th inning or something like that. That was a game I can't believe actually happened. But I thought you were going to say 20, 2005 NLDS. 2005 and oh, that's actually probably my second favorite game of all time. Chris Burke uh, hits uh 18th inning line drive home run. The game's only tied because Lance Berkman hit a grand slam in the top of the ninth or bottom of the ninth inning. One of the craziest games ever. Milo Hamilton's call is absolutely legendary. Yep. Lining it to left. Oh, my God. That That's <laughs> probably the game that made me love baseball. So, yeah, I did like that game. Um, Similar to that, well, I guess not that similar, but was 2012 Red Sox-Orioles um, went, I think, 19 or so innings similar situation and Chris Davis came on for the last um either one or two innings yeah and it was very unnerving to see Adrian Gonzalez strike and Jared Soltelmachia strike out against him <laughs> it was uh, yeah there are two Chris Davises in baseball and neither is a pitcher nor should ever be a pitcher but you remember you remember the 2008 all-star game 2008 All-Star game? Yeah, that was the one that went... It was one that went uh, 15 innings. I don't remember that. Did that one have position players pitching? I no, like but it was getting to the point where, like, the last guys that were... That hadn't pitched, like, two days before the All-Star game... Like, they were they were running out of pitchers. Yeah. Which, in an All-Star game, is incredibly hard to do. You have pitchers you... No one gets into... You never have all the pitchers pitching in an All-Star Well, game. yeah, because a lot of them have, you know, yeah. pitched recently. I don't remember that game, but that sounds fascinating. I gotta look back at that. Anyway, yeah. Tell us some more about the 19 inning game we saw last night, or went to sleep during last night. So the Cardinals used a total of 10 pitchers. Yeah. In 18 and two thirds innings pitched, which you know it's 19. And Jack Jack Flaherty, he Ooh. seven innings, one hit, two walks, and 11 strikeouts, just piling on <laughs> to. A second half to remember. Giovanni Gallegos, who I'll talk about later, in addition to Flaherty, was shut down in the eighth inning. Then Andrew Miller blew the save in the ninth. Yeah. And then you got to go to the 13th when, let's see here, when Junior Fernandez, pitching in his 11th game in the big leagues, uh, blew it after John Gant. Um let up some base runners. I mean, Fernandez, Fernandez let up the um, the hits that scored the runs, but the runs are charged to Gant, even though Fernandez gets a blown save, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Then Daniel Ponce de Leon went three scoreless innings. 
is that Dominic Leone? Yes, Dominic Leone uh, went two scoreless innings, and then John Brevia, two-thirds of an inning, he got the loss, let up the uh, the game-winning run in the 19th. And for the Diamondbacks, we had Mike Leak, who also started a pretty good game, six innings, five hits, one run, two, two walks, three strikeouts. And then with the exception of Taylor Clark, nobody in the Diamondbacks' bullpen let up a run. Yeah. Over 19 innings. Now, both teams did finish with 13 hits. Um, Arizona won 3-2. And I believe that Yadier Molina, yes, Yadier Molina caught all 19 innings. Yadier is an absolute baller. I I don't know. He's like, what, 36? uh, Yeah. I... It's very hard to understand why they would push all all of the Cardinals guys stayed in for every inning except yeah and the only replacements were pinch hitters for the pitcher. Yeah. That is I don't know how often that's ever happened before. You have everyone from Fowler through Bader gets eight plate or No, Fowler got nine. Fowler got nine plate appearances because he actually walked and he was the last guy out, I guess. Yeah. But you go through that lineup eight times. That's, I don't know. The Cardinals have never had that good of a lineup. So seeing them get 13 hits in 19 innings, like, it's not too surprising. Only two runs. But, man, I don't know. You fa- you faced Paul Goldschmidt eight times, and you only let him get on base twice. That's pretty impressive. It's especially weird thinking and remembering that the Cardinals are in this huge f- fight in the NL Central. Yeah. Which, you know, do you want to get into that now? Oh, my God. The Cardinals... So this was the Cardinals' fifth game in a row. It might be more. I haven't checked. But at least five games in a row where it's been decided by one run. This one, unfortunately, did not go well for them. But the Cardinals have... The Cardinals swept the Cubs, which we'll get into soon. And the Brewers have also been winning. And the Brewers are suddenly now just two and a half games behind the Cardinals after the Cardinals, I guess you could say, blew this one against the Diamondbacks, but sort of just got outraced or... It's like a more of a marathon. It's not a sprint. sprint. It's a marathon. Exactly, and that's what this game was. Like, and we had all. Actually, we had. It's the the ultimate um, encapsulation of baseball. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, it's a long season." You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's like, yeah, that's that's what this game was. It seems like we've actually been having a lot of those lately. Last night, yeah, Rockies went sixteen innings as well, didn't they? Yeah, we had Mets beat the Marlins in eleven. We had the Rays beat the Yankees in 12, which was a great game. And then we had, obviously, the Diamondbacks and Cardinals game. Then we had the Rockies win 8-5 to against the Giants. And the Rockies and Giants actually used an MLB record, breaking the record, which had been tied, we talked about in the other pod, but this time they used 25 pitchers. So, and Charlie Blackman uh, hit a three-run home run in the 16th inning. So that's how much free baseball did we get. We got a full game of free baseball. Well, no, we had more than a full game of free baseball. We had two... Five, uh, 12, we had 22 extra innings, 22 free innings of baseball just played last night, which is kind of crazy. We had more than two full games of yep. extra innings. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's something about September where teams are less likely to go for the win and more likely would just like, well, we have so many players on our roster, we can go the whole time. But... We've actually been seeing a lot of extra innings games lately, and I'm and I hope it lasts throughout the rest of the year. I hope that on the last game of the season we get six extra, extra inning games because just why not? Yeah, I don't know, but it's been a crazy time for the NL Central. It certainly has. Yeah, um, we could also talk about the wild card races. So the wild card race in the NL is sort of it's kind of done at this point. I mean. Unless the Brewers make a late break for the division, which, like, if the Cardinals go into a little bit of a swoon, the Brewers have a pretty easy schedule up ahead. I think they have the Reds and the Pirates? Reds and the Rockies? I think it's Reds and Rockies. So At, at least one of those teams will give them a fight. Well, I'm not sure either of those teams will give them that much of a fight. But the Brewers are two and a half back, so one Cardinal sweep and means they're in it. But the Cubs, four-game sweep by the Cardinals. Cubs are seven and a half back of the Cardinals, which means they're five back of the Brewers, who are in the second wild card spot, maybe a game or two out of the Nats. And suddenly we know exactly what we're going to be seeing. We're going to either see Scherzer or Corbin or Strasburg go up against 
whoever the Brewers have to offer in the NL wildcard game. But do you want to talk about the AL wildcard? So the AL wildcard, Indians last night got back Jose Ramirez. Yeah. First at bat back, grand slam. <laughs> and then he finishes with a, I believe, career high seven RBIs because he hit a three-run home run. Oh, my God. So you got you, they got him back. Clevenger, who is going to be talked about as well in a bit, seven innings, five hits, no runs, one walk, ten strikeouts. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball since the All-Star break. Yes. And, you know, Cleveland wins 11-zip. Yeah. And now... But then they play the White Sox. Uh, I mean, yeah, they played the White Sox. Still, the White Sox aren't still. You need to you need to keep winning. That's which true. means now that the Cleveland Indians are a half game behind Tampa Bay for the second wild card spot, and with Tampa the game Bay in hand. with the game in hand. Yes, and and Tampa Bay has is is only a half game behind Oakland for the top wild card spot. Yeah. So it is three teams, all within one game of each other. Yeah, they're deadlocked at this point, and I cannot wait for the final week of the season. Unfortunately, they don't play each other, which would kind of make it great, but I don't know. I think we had this conversation earlier before we started doing the pod that would you rather have a team that you're chasing for the wild card be in your division or not? Clearly, as it seems with the Cubs and the Brewers, the Brewers think it's great that they have someone in their division with them who's fighting against each other, but these these are three teams all in different divisions. Three teams all aligned in dignity. Yeah. No, these are three teams who are all in different divisions, all with a team in front of them who's going to win 100 games or already has won 100 games in the case of the Yankees and the Astros. And each one of those, the Rays are going against the Yankees right now, which, I don't know, might be good for them, might not be good for them. We'll see. They beat them last night. But it's going to go right down to the wire, or at least it better go down to the wire. If we have, like, a three-way tie on the last game of the season, I won't be too surprised, and I'll be ecstatic. Yeah. It's, it'll be fun. So now I want to move into the – so I compiled three lists, um, a list of underrated hitters, starting pitchers, and relievers. Okay. Guys who are having phenomenal seasons that nobody's talking about, and I want to highlight a few. So first guy I want to highlight is Eduardo Escobar. Mm. Who is among the league leaders for RBIs? He's he's most likely going to finish above 120 in RBIs, 35 in home runs, somewhere around there, and he is not getting talked about at all. I mean, none of the Diamondbacks are getting talked about at all. Yeah, this is not as the Diamondbacks have had several outstanding performers. Ketel Marte is probably the biggest one of them, but the team has just been great this year. Well, at least several players of the team have been great this year, but the team, they traded Granke. They never quite put it together, and the Dodgers are in their division. So a little bad luck on that part. And now there's three guys on the athletics which whom are making no headlines. Marcus Semyon, who's going to play in all 162 this year, going to yeah. lead the majors in plate appearances. He... He's going to finish with an F war of 7.5. Which is near the top in baseball. I think that Semyon actually is going to get some real, not MVP consideration, but top five MVP consideration. He might finish as like the fourth or fifth guy in the league. We'll see. It's an interesting AL race this year. Next athletic, Matt Olson, who mm. missed the first about, I think, month of the season with a broken hamate bone. Yeah. I think he's going to finish above 35 home runs, going to finish OPS above 900. Mark Canna, yeah, he's gonna finish with an OPS above 900 in 127 games. Um, the Athletics continue to make guys into serviceable big leader, big leaguers without anybody noticing. Yeah, these Matt Olson and Mark Canna, these are the kind of guys that are like big bashers. They're stereotypical. A's guys who you just look around look around one day and suddenly they're near the tops of the league in home runs or OPS or something along those lines. Every year there's always a couple of them. Matt Chapman has actually turned into a superstar, but Kanha and Olsen and Semyon, although Semyon's a shortstop, they're guys who for the basically the only reason is that the fact that they play on the A's, they're great. Do you who, what comes to mind when I say the name Mitch Garver? Mitch Garver. Um, 
well, he, for whatever reason, he's been one of the better catchers in the AL this year, which sort of makes no sense. But also there haven't been very many good catchers in the AL this year, so I guess it makes a little sense. But it doesn't make any sense. He has 32 home runs in 95 games. An 95 o- games? Yeah, he, he's he got an OPS eight points away from 1,000. Damn, Mitch, is he good at framing? Yeah, so 538 actually just put out an article, I think either today or the day before, about Mitch Garver, who is horrible at catching the low strike. So yeah. he changed his stance, and now he's one of the best in the game. There we go. Mitch Garver, 32 homers in 95 games, plus great framer now, so... He might make the. He's probably going to make a couple All Star games in the very near future, because until Adley Rutschman comes up, Mitch Garver is your guy. Speaking of Orioles, three guys on my list are Trey Mancini, who's going to yeah. finish with thirty five or so home runs, close to a hundred RBIs. A lot Ren- of guys finishing with thirty plus home runs this year. It's another guy, definitely Ren- not the balls. Renato, yeah, no, definitely not. <clears throat> uh, Renato <laughs> Nunez is going to finish with thirty home runs. Hanser Alberto is going to finish. Above three hundred. Yeah. Have you heard, if, had you heard of Hansel Alberto before this year? No, there's not a chance you had. So. I mean, my dad's an Orioles fan. I hear I hear about you know the studs, the real studs, the real absolute players on the Orioles every day. Yeah, the, including Jonathan VR. Jonathan VR, I know him well. He came over in the Brett Myers trade to the Ashes from the Phillies a long time ago. Then he slid in directly into the butt of Brandon Phillips. And. Was instantly like, was forever thought of as just, I don't know, the absolute meme of the Disastros, the Lastros, the whoever you want to call them. And now he's on a team that might be even worse than that and is run by an ex-Astro in the Orioles. Yes, so he's also going to play in 162 games. 111 runs scored is what we have been projected for. Good shortstop defense. 25 home runs, 39 stolen bases. That's really impressive. VR has always been a fast guy. He's always been a quick guy. But the home runs are the kind of thing that people are always waiting on. And also his hit tool. And it seems like he's actually cracked the code into being definitively above average this year. And it's one of the brighter spots on an Orioles team that, what, is 51 wins right now? 52. 52 wins for the Orioles. Have a parade for them. I'm going to be talking about them later. Don't worry. And to round out the hitters, we got Tim Anderson, who is who's making headlines for so many things. First, I think earlier this week, he opened up about how he's just trying to make the game fun again yeah. and you know, doing all these crazy things. Secondly, he's going to lead the majors in batting average. Yeah, which is very impressive for Tim Anderson, who is kind of the guy who just he hits the ball. He uh, doesn't walk very much at all. I think his... Yeah, he's going to finish with about 12 or 13 walks. Yeah, I think his OBP is something like Three. 15 points higher than yeah. his batting average, which is almost unheard of. It's Javier Baez-like. Yeah. So Tim Anderson is the kind of guy who you might, I mean, maybe, I guess he gets on base since he's got a 350 OBP, but he really, he's the kind of guy who's a real throwback to the days ever, that everyone was missing where it's, oh, it's not a three true outcomes, home run, walk, or strikeout. Tim Anderson, he get, he has, hits for a high batting average. He's like Jose Altuve when he was younger. Now we're going to move on to the starting pitchers that have made waves with impressive stats, such as Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, Cardinals guy. Um, for the past several games, his ERA, I believe, is below one, which is like Bob Gibson level at this point. And I think he's, what, his second year in the majors? Yes, yes. Second he's, year in the majors He's going Flaherty. to finish with, a, a. he's going to lead the NL in whip. Yeah. Josh Flaherty, um, Jack Flaherty, sorry. Jack Flaherty is a definite bright spot and a definite reason. The Cardinals pitching this year is basically what's been carrying them to the playoffs because the hitting did not get hot for a long time. The bullpen was always pretty good, but the pitching has really turned it around. Even Wainwright's getting on it, and Wainwright... Yeah, yeah. Wainwright's got an ERA close to four, I think. Wainwright debuted in 2006. Yeah, he's getting very old. Yeah, Wainwright, it's, it's been a long time since Adam Wainwright was someone who is mentionable. Uh, Waka's been fine. Eh. Who else has been good in that rotation? Uh, Flaherty and another guy on this list. Dakota Hudson. Dakota Hudson. Dakota Hudson, yeah. Right now, I think he's 16 and 7. 
which wins are kind of an outdated stat, but... But, I mean, they, it's fun to look they at. It means something if he's you're winning a, that many games. Got a 3-4-5 ERA. He's got a 1.41 whip. Yeah, so... A.K.A. not good. 1.41 whip means that you're getting, like, a batter and a half on base for every single inning you pitch, which is not really good for someone who wants to obviously limit the amount of runs they give up. And that translates into a fielding-independent pitching, which is basically taking defense out of it. It just focuses on the true, three true outcomes of yeah, they hit a home run, walk or strikeout, and how many runs you ex- what you're expecting their ERA to be based on the rates at which they give up those three outcomes. Yeah. His fifth, a, a full run and a half higher mm-hmm. than, than his ERA. And so that's something that's kind of interesting but also makes a lot of sense when you think about it because so here's someone who allows a walk of like maybe a walk and a hit or three three walks uh, or hits for every two innings that he pitches, right around there. So fielding independent pitching is basically like, well, let's take luck out of the equation. Because if a ball goes, I get the shortstop, maybe the shortstop is going to be there. Maybe he's going to be shifted and he won't be there. So, but it would kind of, but your FIP is going to be high if you're allowing that many walks and that many hits. So Flaherty, Dakota Hudson is a guy who, people think are getting kind of lucky since he's stranding so many guys on base. And usually when someone gets on base, there's a good chance that they're going to score. But with an ERA of around three, around 350, it's what, 345 right now, that means that he's doing a really good job of not letting those runners score. Even though, as luck would assume, we assume that everything evens out, we assume that he wouldn't be doing quite as well in that category. Next guy is you, Darvish, who's, it's been an interesting year for you. Again, wins and losses are not the not a great um, thing to look at. He's only got 14 decisions mm-hmm. in 32 starts. Yeah, he's got a 3.95 ERA. He's got a 236 strikeouts in only 184 innings is what he's going to finish with. And he was left in the game. I believe this was Sunday. Eight, he went at eight innings. He had given up one run. They were tied with the Cardinals, 1-1. One, one. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk Darvish about that. Darvish blew it, yeah. Darvish blew it. Darvish actually started off the season not doing that well. He didn't have that good of a season the year before. And then he started off this year not doing well. People were kind of assuming that he was broken a little bit because Darvish has always been the kind of guy who has a propensity to get injured or just pitch ineffectively. But he's really turned it on lately. But at the same time, he's had almost no run support even as he just carves out lineups with his with his incredible stuff. He has some of the best stuff in the majors, but this Cubs team just isn't able to for whatever reason get him the run support that he needs. Yeah, he basically just just, just decided that walks are bad and strikeouts are good, so he should strike out a lot of guys and walk not a lot of guys, yeah. which I think's a good strategy. That's what Darvish does, but unfortunately, the Cubs aren't helping him. So now, how about Mike Clevenger? Now, Ooh. he wasn't really, I think he was injured the first basically half of the year. Yeah. He's, and he's only going to start 21 games. But he's going to go 13-3. and three. He's going to have 170 strikeouts in about 125 innings. He's going to have an ERA about 2.4 with a fielding independent pitching close to that. Yeah. And he's going to finish with a war of about... 4.7 in just 21 starts. Yeah, which extrapolate to a full that to That's a full about season. Seven, it's seven almost wins. 7, yeah. So, Clevenger has pitched really well this year. The Indians have had two guys who I don't know. The Indians have had a rotation that everyone thinks has been great for a while, but this year there's no Corey Kluber. Trevor Bauer was relatively ineffective uh, ineffective and he got traded at the deadline, but Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger have really stepped up this year and made the end and Basically, are the only reason why the Indians, after a really, really bad first couple months of the season, were able to make up ground on the Twins. And yeah. So now moving on to just a few relievers that have been getting the job done. First is another athletic, Liam Hendricks, who has an ERA below two. Yeah. And 122 strikeouts in 84 innings. Yeah. And he's going to finish as a reliever. He's going to get more than three wins. Yeah. Uh, so last year, Blake Trinan and Lou Trevino were the guys who really, if, if you were down to the A's and it went into the eighth or the ninth inning, you knew you were done because Trinan 
or Trevino were just going to shut you down. But this year, Hendricks has actually been the guy in. Uh, Trinan has really regressed. So that's sort of the motto with the A's, like we talked about with Olsen and Canna. They might lose one guy or another guy might be ineffective, but then you turn around and somebody else is having an absolute career year. So next is Brandon Workman, who I don't know if I would want to talk about Brandon Workman in a good way or a bad way, because every time I see Brandon Workman pitch, he lets he just walks everybody. He's got 46 walks and 73 innings, which is really unfortunate because he's only let up 31 hits. He's gonna only going to let up 31 hits in 73 innings. Yeah. He's going to— How many strikeouts? 103. In 73 innings. So basically, ERA below two. So basically, he's a guy who's just got absolutely insane stuff that no one can hit. Unfortunately, he doesn't always know where it's going. So he's got way above average in strikeouts, but also way, way above average in walks. And so, what team is he on? Red Sox. Red Sox, yeah. Oh, the Red Sox bullpen this year has sort of been inconsistent, I guess, is a nice word to use. Let's or just move on. The heel of the team. Let's just not talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, mm. Last guy I want to highlight is Nick Anderson for the Rays. Oh, I was going to talk about him too. Yeah. Yeah. So he came over from the Marlins midseason. In what trade was he in? He was in the trade where they sent Stanek. Right. And a Stan- prospect. Ryan Stanek, right. Can't remember which prospect. Yes. But somewhere. so he's been better since he got to the Rays. Obviously, you're, he, if you're on the Marlins, you're probably not going to do that well. Yeah. But he's got 111 strikeouts in 66 innings. Mm-hmm. He's been someone who the Marlins sort of just got off the scrap heap and suddenly he started doing well. And then he got into the Rays organization and he... How many runs has he allowed since he's become a Ray? Not a lot. What's his ERA since joining the team? His ERA since joining the team, it's it. I think it's below three. But yeah, his... Let me see. Yeah, his his ERA since joining the Rays is two one four. So yeah. he's only let up five runs in twenty one innings yeah. and struck out forty guys since he became a member of the Rays. So if the Rays do end up getting into the ALDS and if they do end up making the wild card game and winning that, Nick Anderson is a kind of guy who you're going to hear about time and again in the playoffs. A lot of ifs, but yes. Yeah. I mean it's the AL wild card. No one knows what's gonna happen. But that's the fun of it. So next is we got some news um, to share. Yeah. Got a couple of managers that are stepping away at the end of the year. Both for different reasons. Both for different reasons. Ned Yost uh, announced earlier this week that he's going to – he's not getting fired, but he's going to walk away. He's not. He will finish managing after this year. Yeah. Royals have been very bad ever since the World Series – um, it was kind of a lucky team that got to the World Series. They were four outs away from getting eliminated by the Astros in the uh, ALDS and then suddenly just scored like six runs and blew the game wide open and won game five to, and then made it there. But I don't know. The Rays organization, have they've lost a lot of the players. They didn't re-sign You mean the Royals? Them. Royals, sorry, yeah. The Royals organization has also not really been built in the kind of way that most teams that have been great this decade have been built, which is basically through analytics. Dayton Moore hasn't really been that much of an analytics guy. It's more of the old school, get guys who can hit, get guys who can run, get guys who can throw and sort of, and and don't who don't strike out a lot. But unfortunately, Billy Butler's not that good anymore. Billy Butler's gone. Billy Butler is far gone. Uh, Alex Gordon is not that good anymore. When they, was the last time Billy Butler played a game? I don't remember. I'm just remembering this that 2014-2015 sort of team. I think Billy Butler was on the Athletics, wasn't he? He might have been by that point. Uh, I, he was on the team in 2014. Not sure about 2015. Could be wrong about that. I don't know. I don't know the intricacies of Billy Butler's career. Alex Gordon. Well, I know. Was a good I know man. many of the intricacies of Billy Butler's career. He was a doubles machine. That's all. That's yeah. Basically, all you need to know. Lorenzo Cain has been in the Brewers for a while. That killer bullpen that they had with Wade Davis is to- and Joaquin Soria. Uh, Kelvin Herrera. Kelvin Herrera is completely gone. So the, it's been a while since the Royals were a good team. And not only are they rebuilding, they're rebuilding, and their future isn't looking especially bright. So Ned Yo stepping away, he's a very old-school manager, kind of makes sense. And it's the same here that Bruce Bochy is stepping down. And Bochy and Yost obviously had one of the greatest World Series of all time in 2014 yep. when Alex Gordon uh, 
um, whatchamacallit, stopped 90 feet from home in Game 7 as Bumgarner threw, what was it, like six, seven, eight innings of relief on just a few days rest in Game 7? Yep. And didn't allow a single run. That was one of the greatest World Series games of all time. When we get to the playoffs, then we're going to talk a lot more about some of our favorite playoff games. But that's just one that's going to be kind of sad thinking about with Yost and Bochy gone after the season, neither of them being in the playoffs. Next guy that got fired was Andy Green. Actually got fired. Yeah, he actually got fired. Uh, This firing kind of creates a weird scenario where, you know, Padres have a an opening at the managerial spot. They have there's a guy managing for the Giants right now who's said that he's not going to manage beyond this year and who we're obviously talking about Bruce Bochy who has yeah. managed the Padres in the past. In the past. He's been asked about this. He hasn't given a clear answer. He's kind of deflected it. He hasn't said no. He's said, "Oh, I'm just going to focus on this year." you know, finishing it out. But it, he kind of leaves the door open. He, he He's implying that he leaves the door open. Do you see a possibility of um, Bochy going to the Padres and managing after this year? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Great. What I, I'm going to say yes to is I'm going to say, well, remember Tony LaRussa? Several yep. years back, how he finished managing the Cardinals. He retired on top of the world after winning the World Series in 2011. And then relatively soon after, he's on the Diamondbacks, but not as a manager, but he's in their front office. Yep. I kind of see Bruce Bochy. He's a baseball lifer. He's the kind of guy who maybe it's too much for him to manage a team again. And he's he's getting up in age. But I wouldn't would not be shocked whatsoever to see him join the Padres front office. It's a team on the rise, but maybe like take a smaller job that doesn't... In, involve you having to be with the team and being on the field every single day. Because I think he wanted to step away because he didn't, I don't know, maybe it was just too much for him. He's, what, 70-ish? Around then. He just, he just got his 2000th win as a manager. Yeah. So Bochi has been around a long time, and I would, would be relatively surprised if he was the manager for a team ever again. I did actually want to talk about the Padres a little bit. Go okay, so... Right now, the teams with probably the two best farm systems in baseball are the Tampa Bay Rays, who are great, and the San Diego Padres, who have just been stockpiling prospects for a long time and have started calling them up this year. Obviously, you saw Fernando Fernando Tatis Jr. this year. You saw Chris Paddock this year, both really, really showing out, and they have a lot more where that came from. So what my question is, is is this sort of like an Astros firing Bo Porter situation? Because a few years back, the Padres, uh, they get a new GM, A.J. Preller, who's like this relatively young guy. He's been a scout his whole life. He's not the usual hire you'd have for a GM. Kind of reminds me of the Astros with Luno back in 2011. The team makes some weird trades. They're like sort of competitive, but they're actually really, really not competitive, and they kind of go in the tank, but they gain more and more prospects along the way. But Andy Green, he's been this what manager for four years on the Padres, and he gets fired near the end of this year. I feel like they're going to be out looking for their next A.J. Hinch kind of guy, the kind of guy who really has a mind meld with the front office and is a really good manager to help this team get to the next level. Because the Padres this year were sort of talked about as, oh, this is the kind of team which might be able to make a leap and contend for a wild card. And that obviously didn't end up happening as they're going to finish around 70 wins. So I think that this kind of move is sort of like, well, we've gotten as much out of green as we can, and now that we really want to compete, we think we can win a lot of... We can compete for the World Series every single year. I think they're going to try to make a real upgraded manager and try to hire someone who they think is the kind of guy to lead them to the promised land, where the Padres have not been in quite a while. I mean, it makes sense. you got a lot of guys on that team that are performing well. you got a couple that aren't performing that well. Hosmer, yeah, um, Machado's doing all right. I guess. He'll be on the team for 10 years, so I don't know. Yeah. You, you're you locked into him. Yeah. Um. I guess. I, I just feel like Andy Green was getting just not – I think people are starting to realize that he's just not that good of a manager. He's not cut out for it yeah. like a lot of the other uh, younger guys are. Mm-hmm. Like Bo Porter, he wasn't cut out to be a manager. He – 
I don't know, he tried to get Jeff Luno fired, if I remember an article back from what back, from back then correctly. And obviously Jeff Luno is still here and has a World Series ring, and Bo Porter is, I think, a bench coach somewhere. So, yeah. That's what I think. The, I think the Padres have had one of the better plans in baseball, maybe even the best plan in the NL outside of L.A. and Chicago. So I'm very intrigued to see where they end up going with their next hire. And don't be surprised if it's an out-of-the-box kind of job. What do you got next? Um, so next, I thought we could talk about... Um, would you rather talk about uh, our debate that we've got going on or the three stars of the week? Let's go, let's go with our debate. Okay, so um, we both think that there are two... We think that there are two teams who no one really talks about, who really are going to be one of the better teams of the next decade. And those teams are not very good right now, or at least they're middling. So, Sam, why don't you start us off with your choice of... The Bright Future Reds. The Bright Future Reds? The Bright Future Reds. They have almost as bright a future as the Suns. Actually, probably more more bright. They have Eugenio Suarez, who's going to hit close to 50 home runs this year. Sonny Gray, who's got an ERA below three. Um, Joey Votto is, you know, Joey Votto. He's a fossil, but he's still good-ish. They have Aristides Aquino, who set all the records of, you know, hitting so many home runs. Um, They've got Amir Garrett, who's just a dude. He's humongous. Humongous dude, like 6'7". Former basketball player tried taking on the entire Pirates team in a brawl. A few weeks back, you got Michael. Lo- back. You got Michael Lorenzen, who's now actually becoming a two-way player. A couple weeks ago, he homered and then pitched in the same inning, and then the next day he was a starting center fielder. Yeah. So he's actually going to, you know, start being a two-way player in the future. I agree on Lorenzen. Lorenzen is the kind of guy who is being what everyone was hoping Shohei Otani would be, but Lorenzen so far hasn't really gotten hurt. So he's actually getting to, to show us how good someone can be playing both the field, doing both of those at the same time, the way Otani hasn't really been able to do and Brendan McKay has only sort of been doing. And then you also got Luis Castillo, who is one of the top five pitchers, I'd probably say, in the National League. Mm. He's Oh, I mean, he's been relatively good this year, but the top five pitchers, you have Scherzer, you have DeGrom, you have Soroka, you have Flaherty, you have more people. I think you have too many people for Castillo to really crack that. You have Ryu, you have Kershaw, you have Bueller. Uh, Nick Senzel's also on the on the Reds, big big time prospect. Uh, he's going to make a big impact in, in the future. The Reds, they're also going to have Bauer. Assuming that you know everything works out, they'll have for at least one more year. for at least one more year, and maybe more if you know the Reds can actually put it together. Um, Jose Peraza's—he's having a quiet year this year. He had a pretty good year last year, um, but yeah, the Red—the Reds just have a bunch of ballers. Um, but, I yeah. sort of agree with that sentiment that the Reds have a bunch of ballers, but at the same time, they're the kind of team where. Aquino, he's been hitting a lot of home runs, but he's also tearing off, and he strikes out a lot. Suarez, he's had 48 home runs, but he strikes out a lot. Trevor Bauer has been wildly inconsistent, to say the least. He's the guy who, in his last moment in Cleveland, uh, threw a baseball over the center field fence because he was really pissed off that he was getting pulled from a game and has also publicly stated that he'd be perfectly fine just signing one-year contracts every single offseason so he doesn't get tied down to any specific team, and that's not the guy you want at the front of your rotation? I mean, maybe you want Castillo at the front of your rotation. Castillo yeah. has been good. Castillo has had a definite career year. He's got well, an ERA around 3.2, but he's more of a number two, I think, than a number three, than a number one, maybe closer to number three, actually, than a number one or number two. So I don't know. And then you look at the Reds' prospects. They've sort of called up their guys. They've got Senzel... They trade. They traded Taylor Trammell to the Padres and Trevor Bauer trade. Trevor Bauer has one more year on the Reds. Trevor Bauer might be on the team for only one year, and you don't really want to give up six years of a controllable prospect like Trammell for that. So I'm not really sure where the Reds' front office is really on all of these, because also, if you don't have the breakouts of Aquino and Suarez this year, then you're actually looking at a team which 
does not have that bright of a future. They have no they have if you go by MLB.com, they have one prospect in the top fifty, and he is number fifty. It's Hunter Green, who is a high school pitcher who also can hit and has also had Tommy John surgery, and no one really knows if he's going to make the majors or when he will make the majors. And they only have three prospects in the top 50. I think another guy's around 52, 53, and another guy's like in the back 10. So the Reds don't have that much left in the tanks, and Zell sort of has to be good. And he probably will be good, but he has to be good. And unless they go out in the offseason, maybe sign like a pitcher to a longer-term deal, this is a team which, as currently constructed, really is going to need career years from most of their players for them to actually be competitive. Because as they've proved, they can have career years from a couple and they still are fourth place in the NL Central without much to show for it. Next up, we got the bright future Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. So Diamondbacks are a team that has had a lot of underrated guys over the past few years. David Peralta, I mentioned Eduardo Escobar, Cattell Marte, in addition to Nick Ahmed, who is Ooh, Nick Ahmed's been good. Nick Ahmed, who grew up who grew up in my town in Massachusetts, works he sometimes works out with my high school that I went to. Um, they've got Kevin Crone, CJ's brother or cousin or whatever. They're but they're related. Jake Lamb is back. He's not hitting at all, but he's still he's back. Adam Jones is having a meet as a you know an all right year. Um, and just getting back to Ahmed, he's going to... Adam gonna... Jones is old. Adam a... Jones is probably too old to be an effective uh, everyday baseball player at this point. I I like Ahmed a lot because he's might be one of the better best defenders at shortstop. In the National League, yeah. Yeah. And then as far as pitching goes, Mike Leake has been ver- very good. That's not the name you really want to lead off your team with, Mike Leake. Mike okay, Leak. what about Luke? Okay, Luke Weaver. He came over in the... There we go. That's the name I like to hear. In the Goldschmidt trade. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to make that trade very well worth it for the Diamondbacks. Luke Weaver really has the stuff that you need to be an ace in the league. They got Archie Bradley and... Still? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then they've got um, all the guys that came over in the uh, Granky trade. They got Seth Beer... Who else came over in that trade? Um, it was, they got Rojas. J.B. Bukowskis, right? Bukowskis came over. Bukowskis is a kind of guy who has always had lots. He's had great stuff, sort of like Lance McCullers, but unfortunately he's either been injured or relatively ineffective with some bad control issues. They also got Corbin Martin, who's a who just looks like a pitcher when he's on a mound. He looks like the kind of guy you want at the front of your rotation, but unfortunately after a cup of coffee with the Astros this year, he had Tommy John surgery. And then they also got Josh Rojas, who doesn't quite have the prospect pedigree of the other four, other three, but he actually has been in the majors and has been effective enough, I would say. They also got Christian Walker, first baseman, who's yeah. got 25 or so home runs. Um, he's been really good. He's been really good. So I I am a huge fan of those teams, mainly because nobody talks about them. I, I like to try to bring attention to the to the guys that are – or even the teams that are, you know, they have great guys, and I feel like they're just one, you know, piece away from a real run. Yeah. Those are teams which aren't, which give them credit for this because they're not trying to tank. They do, aren't trying to be the worst team in the majors and then hoping that that somehow will work out and they'll get their prospects. Like the Cubs and the Astros almost not lucked into because they had a plan, but it's basically sort of pl- it's playing the luck. The luck game, which for the Cubs for the longest time wasn't actually working out. For a lot of teams, hasn't really helped them get a lot better, like the White Sox or something like that. But the Diamondbacks and Reds are sort of like, instead of rebuild, they reload every year. So they get some props for that. Now, my team that I'm going to talk about with a bright future is the exact opposite of that. They're a team which, if they have too many good players on the team, but they're not winning, like, say an outfield of Marcelo Zuno, Giancarlo Stanton, and Christian Yelich, they'll be like, blow it up. And so they did. And so the Miami Marlins, as they do, I don't know, every several years, just traded all their players for prospects. And I think, though, they actually have a really bright future ahead of them. What, one thing you could do is you could look at the prospects they got. Like Yama, Jordan Yamamoto is a really good pitching prospect that they got from the Brewers in the Christian Yelich trade. Um... They got uh, they have Caleb Smith and Jorge Alfaro, 
how far they got in the Real Muto in trade. the JT Real Muto trade, and like he hasn't been as good as Real Muto, but he's been fine this year. He's been relatively good. But then here's something which I bet you have not even thought about at all about the uh, the Marlins and the minor leagues. Let's go through some of their top prospects. Jazz Chisholm, who they just got from the Rays. He's 21 years old. He's got 21 homers in AA, and he's got a 156 WRC plus uh, while being on the Marlins uh, AA team, which basically means that he's 56% better than the average player in the in the minor, in AA. He is someone who definitely could be a star. He's the kind of guy who could be the face of your franchise. They have Jesus Sanchez, who's a 42nd prospect. He's a 21-year-old in AAA. He's not doing that great, but again, he's 21, and he could be in the majors next year. You've got Lewin Diaz, you have J.J. Bleda and Cameron Misner, who they just drafted this year, and Lewis Brinton, Monte Harrison. Lewis Brinson's still there? Lewis Brinson is in the majors right now. He's not doing that well. But yeah. But what, what do all those people have in common? They're not going to be anything. That's my guess. They're all left-handed hitters. So the Marlins are basically... Isn't that a problem, not a solution? Well, here's the thing. In the majors right now, I'd say we probably have a glut of right-handed hitters. Like, look at the Astros until this year. They basically had five or six righties in a row. The Yankees, a bunch of righties. The Dodgers, they got a couple lefties, but not too many. But the Marlins, what the Marlins are doing is saying, well, there's sort of a shortage of really good lefties in the game right now, so why not try to see how well we could do it? Obviously, with someone like Josh Chisholm, he plays shortstop. You can't play shortstop if you're a lefty, so he throws righty. But you're gonna, you got a lot of guys who are going to... I don't know. You're going to have to have a very different sort of approach against them when you have to play them in a series. You can't just like throw out Obviously you can throw out Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole every single night, but when you have when you're having a righty against what like six lefties in a possible future lineup, that could be a little scary. And so that's not all the Marlins have. They have Sixto Sanchez who also came, did he come over in the yeah, that was a yeah, real muto trade he's also in the real muto trade and he's a guy who has been one of the better prospects in baseball for a long time i think he's the 23rd ranked prospect on mlb.com right now he's a really good pitcher he's got a great arsenal and he's 21 years old with a 253 era and double a he strikes out almost nine, uh, nine batters almost a batter per inning and he walks like uh, one point he walks 1.67 batters per nine innings and that's in double a right now so he's a kind of guy who really could be an ace in the future. Again, it's the bright future, Marlins. The Ray, the the Reds and the Diamondbacks right now, they have different futures, but the Marlins have a possible really bright future. They also have Isan Diaz, who has 29 home runs between AAA and the majors this year. Isan All- Diaz played, um, I think, rookie ball in Connecticut, which is close to where I live. Oh, nice. Yeah. He is also a lefty. He's also first baseman, so it makes kind of sense. And they have this other guy who... Really interesting prospect named Jose Devers, who's a shortstop, 19-year-old, you, you, bats you, you lefty. Mi- you mispronounced Rafael, and also he's on the <laughs> Red Sox, not the Marlins. <laughs> Rafael Devers is breaking out in a good way this year in the majors, but we're talking about Jose Devers. He's 19 years old. He's uh, got a 126 WRC+. plus. He doesn't walk a lot, but he also doesn't strike out a lot, which is pretty rare. So what the Marlins have sort of been doing is especially when you go to guys like Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Jazz Chisholm, Sixto Sanchez, all these guys, Jesus Sanchez, it's a lot of guys who are high-risk, high-reward. And so sort of the idea, I think, that the front office is saying is these guys could all be really good. They might not all be really good, but if we, I don't know, if we develop them the right way, if we get lucky on a few guys, we're also going to get lucky and unlucky on other guys. But if we have a lot of guys who really could have a high reward, there's a decent chance that this works out in a really good way for us. And so far with Lewis Brinson, for instance, the results haven't really been there in the majors, but they're a good team. And then also one name to watch for the future, who is some guy who really could be a star one day, J.J. Blede, like I mentioned. He was a number four overall pick, great hitter, very good arm too for an outfielder. He's the kind of guy who could be like your gritty, get-down-to-it, Alex Bregman sort of guy in the major. Obviously, that's putting a lot on some guy who just got drafted this year out of college, but he was really good hitter his senior year, his junior year in college and got drafted really high because of it. And so one, one final reason why I would say I have the Marlins above a team like the Reds, the Marlins have six guys in the top 100 right now. The Reds have three. So I think that the Marlins... Uh, of a team that's never mentioned as a team which could be good one day because they have like 55 wins this year and people are, would rather talk about the White Sox or the Orioles 
not really the Tigers. The Tigers kind of suck. But there's no, there aren't very many teams in the National League who just suck and have a good future. And I would say probably the Marlins are the best, have the best chance of team, not the Pirates. Obviously, the Padres have a good future, but they're already starting to do a little better. I think the Marlins are a team that could surprise everybody and actually be competitive in three to four years. I don't agree, but what's your second team? Oh, we, I didn't know we were supposed to do two teams. Um, it, honestly, it would probably be the Padres because the pa- I mean, everyone knows so the Padres. Basic. Obviously, the Padres have a bright future. What, do you want me to talk about the White Sox and how much I hate their development system, which is basically um, say, oh, we have a bunch of good guys in the minor leagues, so let's just do absolutely no prospect development on them and not change a single thing. The, there's a reason the White Sox absolutely suck. And the Pirates, who have given up Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass now, who have each been two of the best pitchers in the league when healthy the past couple years. Yeah, the Pirates obviously have something extremely wrong with them. There aren't a lot of teams, obviously the Orioles, they have Adley Rutschman, who might be like this, not only the second coming of Buster Posey, might be the second coming of Mike Piazza. Obviously, the Orioles one day are going to be good. But if you want to talk about teams with bright That's futures. That's a bold take. I don't know if the Orioles will ever be good again. They have Mike Elias. They have a former Astros acolyte as their GM who is responsible for most of their drafts. And as you know, the Astros have drafted pretty well for a team, in the, pretty well for any team basically this decade. Um, the Texas Rangers don't really have much of a future. They're sort of like in the middle. The Rays are the team that I would love to talk about as a bright future Rays, but they're also the bright present Rays. The Braves are like right up there with the Padres for one of the best farm systems in baseball, as I've mentioned before. And obviously have great development. Wander Franco, who's 18 years old and I think is in double A right now, is one of the best prospects and we've seen in baseball in a long time. Play shortstop. So obviously, yes, there are teams with bright futures. But one team that doesn't get talked about is the Marlins. So I think that everyone should well, shouldn't be too surprised if in a few years maybe Lewis Brinson makes an all-star game or maybe Sixto Sanchez makes the all-star game or maybe Jazz Chisholm wins rookie of the year or something along those lines. The Marlins are a team which could make some noise. We'll see. We'll see on the Marlins. Let's just move on to the three stars. Yeah. All right. Let's do the three stars of the week right now. Um, I would say that I think it's pretty obvious uh, who the first star of the week has to be. And that would be Garrett Cole, who is leading the majors with 316 strikeouts right now. And that's in, I think, 207.1 innings, and which means that he's got and okay he Garrett Cole has 13.7 strikeouts per nine innings that seems really good not only is it really good it's the most in baseball history better than Pedro in 99 who was who was leading until this year unless Garrett I think even if Garrett Cole goes nine innings and strikes out zero people in his next game he's still going to set the record and he also of all batters who face him this year 39.1% have struck out. Garrett Cole is an absolute strikeout machine this year. And I think that's been especially apparent in his last several starts, especially his one last night. So Garrett Cole, he knows how many strikeouts he needs. I think it was around 11 or 12 to break not only the MLB record since 1980, but also the Astros record, which was at 313. And so Garrett Cole was absolutely on fire last night. He got three string uh, swing strikes with his slider, which and none of those were in the zone. Strikeouts on, he got four swing strikeouts on his fastball, just high heat up in the zone with some serious movement. His fastball maxed out at 99 again with crazy movement. You have to watch his highlights from last night. And so his changeup, which was actually really really good last night, he threw 11 of those four strikes, and of all of the 17 times he threw his changeup, only one ball ever went in play. So Cole, who we talked about last week how Verlander was probably the front runner for Cy Young, Cole has very, very firmly placed himself in the conversation. And with sort of a narrative flipping night like he had last night, I think he might actually be the front runner at this point. He has 24 strikeouts this week in, uh, I think, 15 innings, somewhere around that, maybe, maybe 14 innings. And he has... This is kind of crazy. I, this isn't the record. I think 10 is the record. But he has 10-plus strikeouts in eight straight starts, and his ERA is 252 this year. Garrett Cole has so many strikeouts this year. Should he be the AL Cy Young? So I think after today's start, yes, because right now his whip 
is approaching Verlander's. He's got a .89, and Verlander has a .81. Yeah. And I, Verlander is going to be close to being having the lowest whip in a season of all time. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, um, and Garrett Cole has moved up. He's surpassed Verlander in ERA+. Plus. He's got a 184, which means yeah. he's 84% better than league average at preventing runs. And put, to put that in perspective, Mike Trout is leading the league with around a 180 WRC+, plus, which is the same thing. So if Mike Trout is 80% better than your average hitter, Garrett Cole is 84% better than your average hitter. He's better at pitching than Mike Trout is at hitting, basically, is what that means. And he's gotten his ERA below Verlander's, although it's close. It's real close at this point. The only distinction is innings pitch. Although, yeah, the only thing that's so. going to hurt Cole is that he's going to ha- end up having started two fewer games than Verlander. Yeah, which it's rough. I, I think it's a. Is it one I think or two it's a fewer? Di- two. I don't because I'm, I'm pretty sure he's They're not going to ske- start. No, he he is he is. He's scheduled. He'll he'll be scheduled to start, but I don't think he's going to start because I think the everything will be wrapped up by then, and they'll want him either for game one or game two of whatever postseason series they'll be playing. Actually. The ALDS starts, starts on the fourth. the fourth possible date. So there, whatchamacallit, Verlander would have enough rest and Cole would have enough rest, even if Cole started in the last game of the season. Because you have NL wildcard, AL wildcard, NLDS uh, game one, uh, the two games one, and then you have ALDS game one. So that would actually be four days of rest for Garrett Cole, even if he started on the last day of the season. I think it's going to come down to the last start of Ver- of Verlander season either way. Yeah. They're both going to be trying to throw a no-hitter, basically. Yeah. Cole almost had one earlier this year when the Astros beat the Mariners 21-1. to Shed Long had this, like, this hit that was barely a home run. It just sort of got out in the very, very front in right field, I believe. And that was the only... No, he didn't even walk anyone. In eight innings with 96 pitches, he only allowed that one hit. So he could have had a perfect game to match Verlander's no-hitter. And Verlander's no-hitter is probably the reason why he's going to end up with the Cy Young. So Garrett Cole is putting Justin Verlander on notice. But Justin Verlander was also having a great time watching that in the dugout last night. So it's nice for one team to have the top two guys in the league on the mound. Who's the next guy? Who's the next star? The next. Uh, so the next star is the entire Cubs-Cardinals series, which to me was hilarious. I don't know. I'm from St. Louis, so I'm an Astros fan, but I don't like the Cubs. So it was really hilarious seeing the Cardinals go into Wrigley. All the Cubs fans get super excited about it, say, hey, we're going to take the division back. We're going to win it. We're going to make the playoffs, etc." And then let's talk about game one of the series. So game one was a real classic. Yeah, so... Um, so it's a back-and-forth kind of game. Uh, the Cubs tied it in the game in the ninth inning at 4-4. Four to four. I think it was like 4-1, to one and the Cubs scored three runs. But then Matt Carpenter hits a home run in the 10th inning. Craig Kimbrell uh, sort of just blows the game. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it was a 10-inning game. It was a classic Cubs-Cardinals kind of game. You're like, wow, this is the kind of series we're going to get? Even as a Cubs fan, you kind of have to be excited. Then game two happens. Yachty gets a clutch two-run hit. The Cardinals win 2-1. to one. Again, close game. Unfortunate for the Cubs, but you've got to expect their luck is going to turn around. Then Game 3. Game 3 reminded me of... Which games do you think it reminded me of? Uh, ALCS Game... I'd say 4, 3 and 4. We're not going to talk about that. World Series games. <laughs> oh, Game 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 5, World Series. No, 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 no. This, for, this is Cubs-Cardinals. This reminded me of Game 6 in 2011. Uh, Cardinals versus Rangers and Game 7 in 2016, Cubs versus uh, Indians. So the Cardinals won their version of that game. The Cubs won their version of that game. Those were both back and forth games that were basically going to decide the series. And so in this game, this one is back and forth all game. Uh, Marcelo Zuna hits a two-run shot in the seventh inning to give the Cardinals a 7-6 lead. Then Tony Kemp, all 5'5", less than 200 pounds of him, it's got to be of him. Uh, somehow hits a two-run home run in the eighth inning. To dead center. Ex- yeah. By the way, exit velocity on that was about 95 miles per hour. Wind was blowing out. It went 413 feet. It's Tony Kemp. He's 5'5". Five five. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of 5'5 five five people hit a ball 400-something feet without a little bit of help. Especially from the ball, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, we're, 
the ball is something this year, but whatever. But then ninth inning, the Cubs turned to Craig Kimbrell. They got it. They got to depend on. All right. Him. So here, here's, where I wanna, closer. here's where I want to butt in because I'm watching this game with my friends. Yeah. And I'm like, watch Kimbrell blow this first pitch to Yadier Molina. Homer. Left field bleachers. I l- start laughing hysterically. It's eight eight at this point. Next pitch to Paul DeYoung, bomb. I just I can't I like my sides are hurting. I'm laughing so hard that I'm crying because yeah. it's amazing to watch Kimbrel blow games after we said we didn't want him on the Red Sox anymore. Yeah, last year with Craig Kimbrel, you were biting your nails every single time Kimbrel came into the game with a run one run lead, and then surprise surprise he blows both games that he pitches in against the Cardinals, which is just it's got to be really disappointing as a Cubs fan. So the Cubs have. They had already lost their previous two games by one run, and then they go into this Cardinals series. They lose the first three games also by one run. You gotta, you can't just chalk it down to luck at this point. It's just your team isn't that clutch. What Chris Bryant got hurt, I think, a little earlier on in the series. He twisted his ankle, yeah. slipping on a wet base. So Scott Boris, his agent, made a huge deal about that. I don't know what. Do you, what do you want the umps to wipe bases down in between games? I don't know. What you there, do. I remember a similar between problem games. with Harper a couple of years ago. Yeah. He slipped on first, and I think he hyperextended something. And it was like, oh, we need to make these bases less slippery. And Scott Boris is also Bryce Harper's yeah. Asian. Whatever. So anyway, game four. The Cubs have you Darvish going. And if you have listened to the podcast for this episode and the last one, you know what you Darvish means. It means that the Cubs aren't going to do anything to help him. So you Darvish throws a gem. He allows, like, maybe a run or two or whatever. I think two. I think he allowed two runs. Or he allowed one run up to this point, and they're like, you know what? He's got 11 strikeouts going into the ninth. He's got no walks. Let him finish this game off. So he strikes out the first guy and then allows this sequence to happen. Triple, sack fly, single, double, Cubs are down 3-2, to two, game's over, and the Cubs get swept by their arch rivals, the Cardinals, at home with their playoff berth completely on the line. And then the Cubs lose by, like, one run. Or no, no, they lost by seven against the Pirates last night. So I guess that's one streak that ended. But so how unfortunate for the Cubs. Could not have happened oh, to a worse team. Unreal. Yeah, so now the Cubs are seven and a half games out of first place, five games back of the wild card, like we mentioned. And the Chicago Cubs, we are not going to see them in the playoffs this year. Now their they're elimination number is one. So yeah. they're, they're pretty much out. Yeah. And so the last of the three stars. Speaking of futility, do you want me to tell you what the Orioles' schedule has been for their last four series? I know it's been Blue Jays and Mariners. It's been Tig- It's been well, Dodgers, actually, but then Tigers, Blue Jays, Mariners, Blue Jays. And you know what the Orioles have done in these games? So they've been playing against some of the absolute dregs of the league. These, the games that have happened have just been sort of Oh, who's that player? Oh, I don't know. Who's the next? Who's the guy pitching? I don't know. I don't know who any of these people are, except like Here if you're Trent Thornton making his 30th start. Wait a minute, 30 starts? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Unless you like are really into I don't know older baseball players and you love watching their sons play all in the Blue Jays. I don't know. Then maybe you're excited watching the Blue Jays, but no one can be excited to watch these teams. So this is just I'm just going to give you a snapshot of three games that they played. One in the series against the Blue Jays, another in a series against the Mariners, another in a series, and then the current series against the Blue Jays. So, uh, there was one game against the Blue Jays where the Orioles were up by like four or five runs going into the ninth inning, and they allow six in the top of the ninth. They just completely blow the game and they lose like 9 8. The next series, they lose a game in 13 innings to the Mariners. I mean, how can you. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how many people were at an Orioles Mariners game in the doldrums of September. Buddy, you should see the Orioles Tigers. But a series. thirteen a thirteen inning game. Can you imagine anyone like saying, "Oh, this is the baseball that I absolutely love to see"? The Orioles Tigers series. There was at least one game that went like deep into extra innings. Oh, there were yeah. There was a game that went into extra innings. I think the Orioles might have won that one. I no, the Tigers won. Tigers it. won. It? Okay, so futility of su- it's futilities of futilities. Like at that point, with the, with your schedule being, it's th- Ecclesiastes. That, that's what the Orioles' season is. At what point do you just call the commissioner and say, "Hey, do we really have to play these games?" Yeah, and then 
Let's talk about uh, the Orioles versus Blue Jays 11-10 game. This is not your 11-10 Astros-Dodgers World Series Game 5 kind of game. This is your Orioles-Blue Jays. We are both so terrible. Let's play a 15-inning game that somehow people will actually come to see. Thank God it was on the East Coast because I cannot imagine that being a game that started at 10-10 East Coast Coast time and ending at, I don't know, probably like 2, 3, 4 in the morning. So, yeah, and if you've been listening, you know that the Orioles lost that game. You know that the Orioles are going to lose a lot more games this year and that somehow they're five, they have five or six more wins than the Tigers this year, which just shows you how absolutely horrific the Tigers have been. Let's end this on a note of futility, because while there have been some great teams this year, there are some teams with really bright futures, maybe even the Orioles. There's been so much useless baseball played this year. Tigers. And I love to watch it. Awful. Mariners, awful. Blue Blue Jays are, eh, yeah. Bright future, maybe. No, yeah. Bovish, that's good. But the Orioles, like the 2011 to 2013 Astros would have some serious competition if they were tanking these days. I mean, yeah. That's uh, going to wrap it up for this episode of the StatCast. Um, we're now on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. We're working on getting it to Spotify. Um, so we will be on all the platforms that you have us on, that yeah. you can listen to us on. And if you want to hear more tales of futility, then tune in next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.